Hello, No Code Nation. I'm Ayush, and you're listening to my No Code Story. And this is not your typical entrepreneurship podcast. Here, you get to listen to real people who are building cool stuff, all without writing a single line of code. This is the future of independent entrepreneurship, and you have a front row seat. My guest on the show today is Michael Picciardo. As someone that worked at a billion dollar tech company and then proceeded to moonlight on the side and finally is now doing freelance work on his own in the automation space, Michael has really walked the walk. And today we discuss all about automation. And more importantly, Michael tells us what mindset you need to have to be successful as a freelancer. I think a lot of folks are going to take a ton out of this episode without any further delay. Here's my conversation with Michael. Hi, I'm Michael, and this is my no-code story. Michael, I'm so glad that we could have you on the show. I know you're big in the automation space, but you also have a really unique background going from a nine-to-five desk job to now freelancing on your own. So I'm really excited to dig into everything that you've been doing over the past six to 12 months. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Ayush. Thanks for having me and love the show. How have the last few months been for automation specifically? I know that there has been a lot of activity in the no-code space from a fundraising standpoint. I published about this recently, like in December, the, the top three companies that raised funds from venture capitalists were Airtable with that humongous 700 million plus investment. But then the the others were also pretty large with like 50 million and 30 million uh, invested. And Airtable now is being used to drive more and more automations. So tell me about from your vantage point, working in automation solutions every day, where do you think we're at now versus a year back? Yeah, that's a great question, Ayush. So honestly, I think the world changed with COVID and the way people do uh, their work has changed. And what, is that, what does that mean? So like the no-code tools are getting more and more traction and notice by people that are working from home and have more time to kind of give that attention that weren't giving it attention beforehand. And so these tools like Airtable, Zapier, which were the first tools that were kind of sparking this movement of no-code have led to like, a new generation of no-code tools that have spiraled after that. And like we were talking about this a little bit offline, but it's it's looking like this decade is going to be like the no-code revolution. Especially when you consider the types of tools that are spinning off and the types of use cases that they're solving for. I completely agree. I think you know I don't know whether the term's going to stick or not, but just from a use case standpoint. I feel like a lot more people are going to want to use more powerful solutions that don't involve a lot of coding. Now, as we were discussing earlier, I know your background has been working for a billion dollar tech company in the past. Tell us a little bit about your story. Um, you know, after you graduated, how did you land that job? Why did you go for that type of a role first? And then what motivated you to, to start going out on your own? Yeah, definitely. So... Honestly, like, like during the pandemic, it, it was a tough time for a lot of people and they're like, especially people who are like looking for jobs. And I was fortunate enough to land an opportunity at Reef, which is a billion dollar tech company that was in a high growth mode in Miami, which is where my, my hometown is. 
And when I joined the company, it was in its earliest days, launching these delivery-only food trucks that were in parking lots and high-dense areas. And I was part of the launch team that was responsible for accelerating this initiative, right? And I found a, no, a way to leverage no code to make it easier for these people on the ground called launchers to initiate these projects. And so that's kind of like how I got into no code at Reef. That's interesting. So what exactly did you help them with? Was it some kind of an, an information intake workflow involving automation tools that then converted it into something else? What was that solution exactly? Yeah, it's exactly that. So basically when I was talking to the launchers nationwide in my role as an accelerator, I realized that they were spending a lot of time setting up an actual project on the project management tool when their strength was really in operations. And then when I was speaking to the people at headquarters and how they viewed launchers and how they were going about their work, they were saying that they were having a hard time standardizing all the data that was coming in. And there was no easy way to track all these projects in the dashboard. Right. And so kind of taking these two separately, I kind of, figured out a solution that would, would do that. And that was with an intake form with a tool called Power Automate. And I'd be happy to kind of discuss how I went about that. Yeah, absolutely. Let's let's dig into that a bit more. I think these types of unique solutions are what the audience really enjoys, right? I also got a lot of questions about the different types of automation solutions that are out there. But I want to call out that uh, I love the fact that you not only found a creative way to solve the problem but also you found a way to use automation solutions to transform data and standardize it, which, which is actually a, a lot of time-consuming work that happens in large enterprises right now. It's just transforming data to fit a particular niche use case. So kudos to you on that, but let's dig into specific tools for a second. Now, I know Zapier, Integromat, you know, there are a few others, Parabola, there's NADEN, et cetera. So tell me a little bit about the landscape of tools, and then maybe dig into your solution with Power Automate a bit more, if you if you don't mind. Yeah, that's awesome. So when you said earlier that it's like a big, big problem in, in big organizations, I couldn't agree more. And early days at Reef, like I saw that they were, instead of messaging people with information, people were leveraging forms to kind of communicate information, but they weren't automating anything. They were just communicating information so it wasn't really solving the problem. And that's an opportunity that we can kind of tell the audience when you know they're thinking about doing this automation agency or freelancing type of work. In terms of your second question with all the tools out there, yeah, all the tools you mentioned are, are very good. I've also learned about an open source one called N8N. That's, that's very good as well. So and last year, your last question, which is Power Automate. So yeah, so many, many organizations have contracts with Microsoft and Microsoft has no code automation tool called Power Automate. And at least at Reef, the reason why they weren't using something called Zapier is because Zapier didn't pass their, like their security, their security protocols. So like they, they trust Microsoft, they have, they're doing business with Microsoft on like Outlook and Teams and all these other tools. And so they just trusted Microsoft solution for the no code. 
Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. I've come across Power, Power BI quite a bit, right? So I didn't, I haven't yeah. used Power Automate, which is why it didn't ring a bell. But to your point on enterprises needing some kind of data security layer to allow automation tools to access their data, that, that's that's actually a really big deal. And I work, you know, in, in a large software company that works with, you know, Fortune 50, Fortune 100 companies. And a big part of it is making sure that we're compliant with the various regulations for 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 HIPAA, for example, if we're interfacing with a, a healthcare organization and for GDPR, for example, if we're working with a company that's headquartered out of Europe or has operations in Europe. So I completely uh, get that angle of it. Uh, but the, the thing to highlight really for me is the fact that your solution specifically had been used thousands of times. And by your estimation, it's probably saved the team you know, over 20,000 hours. That's, that's pretty incredible. And just a testament to what's possible with, with automation. So tell us a little bit about some of the use cases. First of all, how has the, the moonlighting on your own experience been? And have you started to develop some, some new habits now that you're, you're working on your own set of solutions? Or uh, what has that transition been like? Yeah, I think that's a great question. So first of all, it's not easy. And one of the things that has helped a lot is kind of joining communities of people who are doing the same thing. And so I first found this community of automation experts on Twitter that are, people are talking about, you know, how they're doing no code, how they're um, using Zapier to automate processes. And, and it's been incredible because it makes you feel like you're not alone. I think one of the biggest, not I wouldn't say blockers, but things that affect people when they're starting something on their own is like the journey of being like a solopreneur as I've seen on Twitter. And, and there's, there's like a very psychological component. So putting that aside, yeah, you have to spend a lot of time really putting yourself out there. I think that's the key thing to really being a freelancer. And there's several methods that I've learned from the people in this community. And we can we can go into that into that. Yeah, let, let's let's uh, double click into that for a second because uh, I think a lot of people that are listening to the podcast are probably toying with the idea of of going freelance, but I don't think people quite appreciate some of the things that come with it. Uh, the feeling of you know being on an island, feeling that you have so many things to to focus on, and you don't have enough time to focus on them all. The the feeling that um, you might not be good enough to handle certain aspects of the business, like you know marketing or putting yourself out there. What was the hardest part of transitioning to becoming a, a freelancer for you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's accepting the fact that it's going to take a while to get more clients, right? You don't build a business overnight. But the best thing about this type of business is that you don't need to quit your full-time job to do this. Right. And that's how I started. I started moonlighting. So the way I went about this was once I realized that I was very good at doing these automation flows and that, you know, I actually liked it and I had like a passion for automating things. That was like the first step, like really admitting to yourself that this is something that you want to do. And then the next thing is convincing the people around you that this is what you're doing and how you can help them. And so I started by emailing a lot of the people in my network 
once a month with an update saying, Hey, you know, this is what I'm doing. This is how I'm going about doing this. And these are the people who have helped me. And if you have any ideas of, of anyone who needs my type of service, you know, I'd love to speak to them. And that email update once a month has been an incredible Kickstarter to this quote unquote business because people are responding to me. People are giving me ideas and it makes you, it makes your whole network part of like the same journey that you're on. So I think that's the first thing to know. Number one, you're not alone. Number two, you don't have to quit your full-time job. And number three, if you're doing something, don't do something in a vacuum, actually communicate with the people around you and start with your immediate network. And once you kind of saturate your media network, then you, you try to expand and reach new people. That's, that's really good advice. Um, and it's actually good advice for even people that are looking to switch roles, people that are looking to you know, start something new on the side, is tap into the people that you already know. And they will often help unlock doors that, that, that they've known and, or, or that they've come across. And I think a testament to this is actually how you discovered the podcast, right? So do you want to tell people how you discovered the podcast? Yeah, honestly, I joined the community of automation experts who are kind of sharing resources and ideas. And one of them had interviewed with you before. And I, I saw the interview and I'm like, oh, let me, let me reach out to, to my no code story and, and see if we can talk to them. That, that was basically the process. That's awesome. It's just people helping each other out. So tell us a little bit about some of the automation tools that you do use when you're helping clients. Do you have a preference for Zapier versus Integromat or, or N8N? Or does the client dictate that? How are you thinking about that? Honestly, that's a great question. But I don't think the focus should be on the tool because I think anyone that can build like these automation flows can use any tool. Sure, the client can dictate what tool to use, but ultimately, I think the audience should focus on what problem are they solving. That's that's the key kind of area of focus in my eyes. Like the client might not care what the what the tool that is used is, but they do care if you're gonna solve their problem or not. And you have to convince them that you know how to solve their problem. The way you go about building the solution is is kind of in your court in most cases. So is your sense that all of these automation tools out there today are fairly equal in their capabilities? Are they pretty much interchangeable, if you will? I think they're interchangeable. I mean, some are better than others in specific things. And I haven't like used Ift that much, for example. But again, it's like what you're good at using. Like, let's say we, we make a real world example. Let's say you're a general contractor and you have to you get a quote to fix something at a house, right? The person that's paying you to fix a house isn't gonna tell you, hey, you should use your hammer and some other tools in your toolbox. They just want you to fix the problem, right? And you're this contractor in this case, right? You have to kind of tell them that you know how to fix their problem and give them a timeline of when you're gonna do it. That's a good analogy. And so let's dig into problems and solutions then. What are some examples of problems that you've seen solved using automation tools? Yeah. So like a common problem that, which is why people kind of go to Zapier or any of these integration solutions is for solving integration problems, right? So common example is like an e-commerce store that 
you know, doesn't connect their database to their inventory or something like that. So they're, they're constantly having to like enter the information in one system and then enter into another. And this is when they first encounter, oh, there's a problem here because I shouldn't be doing this, right? And this is where you come in and kind of make that easier. And I have another note to add to the audience. So even though Zapier and Integromat are like these, like the, the best, not the best tools, but the tools that people know about the most for solving these integration issues. There's actually in this next wave of tools that are being built and getting VC funding, there's a lot of these middleware, no code tools that are actually better solutions to fix this type of integration problem. And like, that's something that people should kind of take into consideration to help them in, the, in, in their journeys. What's an example of a middleware solution? Like, what does that exactly mean? Yeah, so I've learned of three so far, but I think there's a lot more that are being built that I haven't even discovered. So first of all, what is middleware? So middleware is actually a stack that communicates between a front end and a back end, right? And it's usually just a pipe of pipe that connects the two. And on the no code sense, it's it's more for a stream of data that is consistently being communicated between two platforms. So let's say, you know, you have two tools that you're using a lot, and then there's several places where you need to transfer information from one tool to another. This middleware is actually a better tool to use to connect these two apps than building seven or eight different Zapier flows. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I, I think and, the, the, the fact that you can use middleware solutions to build more scalable integrations into and, and uh, more sort of battle-tested integrations into multiple solutions that can that could be frankly good enough to support large enterprise applications. Like you could, we're not talking about a Shopify store at this point, we're probably talking about, you know, a multi-million dollar an annual revenue store, uh, e-commerce store that could leverage middleware solutions to run all of their backend automation flows. So I think there are some really valuable use cases there. And the, the example that you called out with a Shopify store not being connected to the inventory system, I think obviously there are some native solutions to this that new tools are coming out with, right? Where you go to one particular vendor and you get not only the storefront, you get the inventory, you get the payments processing and, and all of that kind of bundled in. But what I think we need to also keep in the back of our minds is that there are all of these legacy businesses that exist out there that are maybe, you know, people that are running a small store using Amazon FBA or something like that, or they're using a variety of stores and they want to, for example, update a listing once and have it updated on Amazon, on Alibaba, wherever else they're selling their products. And once an order gets placed, they, they want to take all of that order information and actually automate the process of you know generating shipping labels as an example of something really mundane like i knew this this online lighting store that that someone that i knew had uh, sort of a partnership in and their backend flows were so manual that literally someone had to physically monitor an outlook inbox because that was the inbox that someone had set up like 5 years back yep. to receive all of the shipping label information and once a label was created they had to, you know, physically print it out and take the product to the store because they were kind of using using a, a a a warehouse to hold all of this inventory, and 
just automating that probably saved them anywhere between 20 to 30% on ongoing operation costs. And this is for like a small two to three person business, right? Where it's not sustainable for you to, you know, hire someone full-time to just work. You need people to, you know, take on all sorts of responsibilities. So I think applying that same construct to now online businesses, automation definitely helps streamline costs. But tell us about some of the things that could go wrong. Like what, what could people be missing when they're setting up their automations that they should be keeping in mind? Yeah, I think that's a great story, man. And it's a great opportunity. Like you can go in your neighborhood, find these legacy small businesses and kind of highlight a big problem that they have, show them how much it's costing them and show them that you solving that problem will get that problem, take away that problem forever. And it will cost them less than what that problem costs right now. Right. So that was like the first thing I wanted to bring up uh, from like what you brought up. And then your, your main question. Yeah. I mean, I think in all honesty, really, I'm going to create a relationship with the person that is contracting you, not just building a solution end to end and then trying to implement it. I think that you have to communicate throughout the process of building it so that you have all the information, right? Sometimes the, the client won't give you everything all at once. So things to look out for is, is definitely like, don't just build a solution, build a client for a bunch of hours, and then realize that you have the wrong solution at the end of the engagement. I think communicating first, setting expectations, building a good relationship with the client so that like all the work that you're, you're doing is towards the right direction is the best way of going about it. And people shouldn't fear doing it wrong. You know, we're human, right? Especially when we're these no-code developers. People make mistakes. You can easily fix them, right? But it's easier to fix a little mistake you make when you have this communication with your client. And then there's some trust built into the relationship. That's the key. Because that once, once that engagement goes well, even if the solution wasn't correct the first time, like there's trust and they'll, they'll recommend you for someone else because at the end of the day, you are solving their problem. Yeah, makes, makes total sense. What are some, and this is a question that I got on, on Twitter when I posted that I was going to be talking to automation experts. What are some ideas for starting a no-code automation agency business. Do you know of some examples where this has been done well? And understanding that it's something that you're deeply focused on right now, what are some things for people to keep in mind there? Like, should they focus on a particular vertical, like e-commerce stores, for example, or uh, focus on a particular type of business when they're building out their automation agency? Yeah, I think focusing on a niche is the most important for your brand and for targeting specific people in that niche. So e-commerce is a niche, for example, you can focus on. You can focus on, instead of industry, you can actually focus on company size. So all companies in my geographic area that have 250 employees or more, that's another way of targeting or filtering the list. Right. So that's the first part of your question. And the second part of your question, yeah. So like the specific use case, I, I go back to like the previous thing, figure out what problem they have and how you think you can fix it. I wouldn't try to hone in into like 
one specific integration and finding everyone in an industry that can solve that integration. Because that, that's the beauty and the fun part of it. Like you don't know what the solution is going to be, but you, you know that if you can, if someone has a problem and you can try to solve it, right. that's, that's like the exciting part of the, the journey. Do you have any tips for someone that's uh, trying to get their first client? Like, should they just do a bunch of work to build up some so, some use cases and before getting their first paid client? Or do you just, you know, walk up to businesses around you and, and try to reach them that way? That's a great question. Man. It's kind of a chicken and the egg because you need some sort of portfolio to convince or a story to convince a business owner that you're the right person to solve a problem for them. Right. But at the same time, you need business owners to develop use cases to then, you know, it, it, it's like a cycle. So my, my advice is, you know, if you have a full-time job now, find a problem in your company that you can solve using these tools, then leverage that story instead of having several clients, leverage that story to get clients on the on your own and leverage that story to tell your network about what it is that you're doing so that your network can get clients for you that's that's my way of of that's the way i'm doing it and that's the way i would recommend people to do it but of course there's a million stories out there right absolutely and the the other thing for people to keep in mind is it's not just these examples don't have to be specifically automations that you've created for a company or a business. These could even be personal automations. And I know, Michael, you had an example of a personal automation that you built using using some kind of an RPA technology. So tell us the difference between, first of all, tools like Zapier and Integromat and how they integrate into other solutions versus an RPA tool. And then tell us a little more about this solution that you built for yourself. Awesome. Yeah. So... RPA is essentially just means robotic process automation. That means actually automating clicks and things that like a person would do manually on a computer that is typing or clicking or getting data from a website, that type of thing. And that's juxtaposing what people are using Xavier for, which is app integrations. So connecting data in one app to another. So those are two separate types of solutions and tools. Okay, so RPA, what I did personally, I there's no way around the admin work of running a business, right? A lot of people, what they do is that they hire a virtual assistant and the virtual assistant takes care of their administrative work, whether it is for taxes or like just taking your costs and, and kind of your business expenses and, and every month keeping track of that. And so that's a problem that I had. And I'm like, okay, so I'm an automation expert. Like, how do I solve this problem for myself or make it easier for myself? And so I use this free tool called Browserflow, which I recommend everyone in the audience to, to look into that. It's called browserflow.app. And so I use that tool to scrape my Amex expenses and then I built the flow in a way so that it separates my business from my personal expenses. So the RPA bot is actually logging into Amex, getting every expense, and it's recognizing based on a, a symbol on the page, what a, a code 
and then it's categorizing it, whether it's personal or for business. And so that saved me so much time because this is something that I used to do manually. And when I learned about browser flow, it, it really blew my mind that I can do this for myself. So that's, that's kind of that story with RPA. And I want to give a shout out to one of my friends in the automation community who's building a similar tool called the masonry that's doing the same thing. So yeah, shout out Chad. A really nice story there. And yeah, let's, let's see if we can, if we couldn't get Chad on the pod as well to talk about masonry once it's out, but I really like the use case there for, for splitting personal expenses and business expenses. And if I'm not mistaken, this is a Chrome extension, right? So a lot of people might not know that it's just something that you can install onto your web browser, you know, nothing extra needed. And you could start building these these automations straight away from stuff that's on your browser page. Awesome. Do, do you want to tell us a little bit about, you know, your 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 college days in a sense? Because I know you, you graduated in 2020. What was it like, mm -hmm. you know, graduating in the middle? Was it in the middle of a pandemic? Was it like smack in the middle there? Yeah. Yeah. What, what was it like? And tell us a little bit about your experience in college, because I know you had some entrepreneurial experience in college as well kind of working to set up like a student chapter and, and stuff like that. So walk us through that whole experience. Definitely important to touch because it speaks to the fact that, you know, you can try a lot, a lot of things, but it only takes one thing to really kind of change your life. Right. And the, the whole point is to keep going. So yeah, in college, I had a couple of entrepreneurial stints and, you know, I'm not going to stop now. So I started the club at college called the Society of Hispanic Professional Engineers. It was kind of a chapter that existed nationally, but didn't exist at my college. And I thought it was a good way of building community with people that are similar in background and, and doing something similar career-wise or education, like classes and stuff like that. And so this group helped, you know, with, you know, we did some volunteer work and we also did help each other with like homework and classes and things like that. So it was a good community to have and it was needed on campus. So that was the first stint. Another stint I did was a whole storage, seasonal storage business thing. So this wasn't a company. There was no LLC. There was no website. This is just pure grit. Notice the problem, which is, okay, people are leaving college over the summer. And they need to store their stuff somewhere over the summer. Hey, I have this basement that in my apartment that no one is using. Why don't I help people, you know, college kids store their, their, their items in my basement. And, you know, that was something I did. And then on that same note, on that same summer, there were some, some friends that were interning into, in the city of St. Louis, which is where I went to college but didn't have housing. And then I had some friends that were from St. Louis who weren't going to have, they were going to have empty apartments that summer because they were going to go back home. Right. So I kind of matchmaked between, you know, those friends who were visiting St. Louis for the summer and those friends who were not in St. Louis that summer. And so I made a margin on that as well. So overall, like the whole story is, is and, it, and how it relates to the no code, my no code story is, you know, you find a problem that you think you can solve and figure out a way to solve it using 
the tools and resources you have available. And more often than not, you'll realize that other people share this problem and haven't done anything about it. And if you do this a couple of times, my theory is that you'll find a problem that's valuable enough that can kind of change the trajectory of your life. I love how you started that talking about the fact that you only need one idea to succeed. And, you know, if you go through the dozens or hundreds of ideas that you have to go through in order to get that one, right? So I, I really love that you started there. And as you were describing that matchmaking part of, of the business that you built, I was just thinking this, this was probably before the days of no code for you, but uh, this could be a very quick sort of form intake process and Zapier automation that, uh, that you could build today to, you know, even automate notifications and tell people, you know, in a more streamlined manner when uh, a match is found for, for their particular time, time period, right? When, when they wanted to sublease stuff. So it just goes to show that even problems that you might be looking to solve manually, although that's a good, good step, uh, there's always some type of way you can automate things and, and get things to be more efficient. Michael, I, I had a lot of fun talking to you today. Thank you again for uh, taking the time to be on the show. Before we, we end today, why don't you give people a handoff to where they can find you if they want some help with their automation services? How do they reach out to you and uh, stay in touch? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Ayush, for having me. It's been a great show. If people want to find me, I, I, like I, I call you to follow me on Twitter. My thing is Peachy Tweets. My last name is Pichardo, so people call me Peachy. It's P-I-C-H-Y and then Tweets, T-W-E-E-T-S. That's my Twitter. Go to my website, michaelpichardo.com. And yeah, follow me to keep up with like the entrepreneurial journey. That's kind of what I'm sharing to everyone because it's, it's, it's about the journey, not the destination. And you know, you just got to enjoy the process. Great. And we'll have links to all of that in our show notes as well. This was great, Michael. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Ayush. Thank you. All right. That was the show. Thank you for tuning in. And I hope you enjoyed it and got a ton out of it. If you did, there are two things you need to do. Number one, make sure you subscribe to the show to get notified when a new no-code story drops. And number two, I want to ask you a favor. Who's the one person you know who would absolutely benefit from hearing this story? Text them right now and send them to mynocodestory.com and reference this episode. Maybe they're an entrepreneur. Maybe they can use this episode to level up at their job. Or maybe they're just someone who loves creating new things. Do it. Subscribe and then send them the text. Make a difference. Thanks again. And I'll see you on the next one.